0: This is Laura Dearda with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Randy Farmer, COO of Delaware Health Information Network. Randy, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today.
1: Hey, Laura. Thank you for having me. It's a thrill to be with you.
0: Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about. There's so much happening in the health IT space and really a lot to be excited about in the coming year. But before we dive into our discussion, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background?
1: Sure. Uh, again, my pleasure. Uh, uh, I have been with the Delaware Health Information Network. It's the uh, statewide health information exchange uh, serving uh, the state of Delaware and the surrounding region uh, since we launched in 2007. In fact, it was the first statewide health information exchange uh, to launch when it did back in 2007. Um, I, before that, I had served in financial services. And I tell you, it's, it's, uh, it's really fascinating because there seem to be so many parallels uh, between the two industries uh, that may not be apparent to, to folks that may not have worked in, in both. But uh, technology is to healthcare and banking it's uh, what steel is to the auto industry. Uh, it's just uh, you know foundational in terms of how those industries work. And the thing I noticed in, uh, in, in the in late 90s and then uh, 2000s or 2011, when I worked in financial services, was how much a company's potential could be realized was dependent upon how well their platforms talk to each other. And the same thing applies with health systems today. Their effectiveness and their ability to leverage efficiencies are really tied to uh, being able to have uh, different parts of their organization, different parts of their system, and systems that are unrelated, being able to communicate on patients that they share. And being able to coordinate care effectively, and that's not just true for the health systems, but it's also true for the payers and the insurance company, insurance companies, uh, you know, the the the, the ACOs, um, it, you know, everybody that's involved in in, in the complex system. Um, and that's the thing that uh, is an added complexity for the healthcare system that uh, uh, like uh, industries such as financial services don't have to contend with uh, really the disparate nature, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, the, the experience of financial services afforded me the, uh, the ability to uh, generate, the new skills and, and, uh, experiences that have been, you know, uh, pretty well applied in this field. And it's interesting how many parallels there are.
0: Absolutely. You know, I know I always hear that the banking and finance industry is ahead of healthcare in terms of how it leverages technology and especially thinking about interoperability. So when you're looking at where we're at mm-hmm. today, obviously, you know, it's progressed and evolved since 2007, but still not quite, you know, caught up to where it could be. Do you sure. have hope or, or promise that um, healthcare could get to a similar place to where really they're leveraging technology and Interoperability in a way that is efficient and uh, successful in the same way that finance or banking is doing today.
1: Yeah, no, I I think we're on our way. Um, it's it is complicated and and it's and it's even more complex than it is in financial services and it's regulated in a very different kind of of, of way. Um, but uh, the, the, we're we're making good progress, right? And it is it is clear, at least like in in areas that have a strong, robust, uh, publicly-oriented health information exchange, that it is an asset. And if anything, that came true in, during the pandemic, uh, p- perhaps in ways that could not have been appreciated, uh, if, if not for the pandemic. Uh, I know that in our case, uh, that, that a number of the institutions, uh, our health systems, and uh, the way that the testing was being done for COVID that not all the information that was needed to study the results of the COVID test, uh, such as demographic information, like ethnicity, age, um, to check specifically to see if there were populations being treated disparately, not all the information was included on the test in order to enable those types of, of uh, uh, that type of analyses. So our public health department came to us and said, hey, listen, we we'd really need, we need your help. And to, to see if we could enrich these tests as they're coming through the system. Those, those tests were already being processed through us. And we have a robust clinical um, uh, database with over three million patients. And identity matching is a core part of our service. So we could take uh, tests where we had, a, let's say enough demographic information, of, you know, first name, last name, let's say we had an address and they wanted the demographic information such as gender and, and ethnicity um, uh, as, or maybe even a phone number, uh, and we could provide the latest information that we had in our network enriching those records so that they could proceed and, and do deeper uh, in analyses uh, in terms of like how to, to support, better support communities. Um, so, yeah, I, I think with with the uh, evolution of the HIE, you know, one of my favorite sayings is that there's one way to spell HIE, but there's a thousand ways to define it. Um, but we're all oriented to serve our communities in a very unique and distinctive way. Uh, most of us have some sort of role to play with public health. And I think it's in those veins that you see a lot of the similarities with financial services um, in terms of like they're being – Um, real efforts to have um, uh, a robust central nervous system, if you will, of data health uh, uh, information to to help make it, one, flow uh, so that it can be used as needed, and two, uh, be able to uh, uh, be uh, available for deeper insights, to provide deeper insights, to help make things more efficient and to help uh, operations grow and mature.
0: Absolutely. I think that's a really great point. And, uh, you know, I love that perspective in terms of how technology can grow and support the industry. Now, looking at the year ahead, what are some of the biggest issues that you're following in, in what really comes front of mind for you as you're thinking about 2023?
1: Sure. Well, I, I think it's incumbent upon us to look for ways to help health systems become even more self sustainable. I mean, you look at the evolution and the diversification of care settings. With, some of our uh, health systems here in Delaware and the surrounding region are coming up with innovative ways to deliver care by d- generating deeper connectivity with information that's generated, let's say, at, at, at a patient's home, hospital or at home, telehealth. Um, you know, it's just there's so many more diverse ways for delivering care, and the HIEs can help to enable that, especially in the area of, let's say, like with telehealth. In our case, we have a, a, a secure online portal. It's heavily adopted throughout the state, but with, with many telehealth providers, they may not have a deep relationship with the patient or any relationship with the patients that they may be seeing on any given occasion. So if they could use our secure online portal to help prep them for a phone call so they have a, a little bit of a uh, deeper understanding uh, of that patient's background, given that we have a longitudinal record of the patient's results as they've been generated through commercial labs and the hospitals throughout the state and region, that could help um, inform them in terms of the needs specific to that patient. Um, so, you know, I think that, uh, that that's, that's a, a, a way that we can help health systems address um, um, ways to better deliver care more creatively and, and more effectively. Um, so that they can become even more efficient and more self-sustainable because well, heaven knows that there's a number of pressures with regards to staffing and, and budgets and whatnot with, the, with health systems. Anything we can do to help in that area is, is really important. In terms of things that I'm most excited about, it's like the new use cases for patient-directed uses of the data. Uh, one of the things that we're doing is um, when we get a authorization from a patient, uh, to share their data with a life insurance company. We use the eHealth Exchange connection to make that information available so that life insurance uh, policies can uh, be underwritten you know, with, with uh, a robust um, collection of health data uh, on which to base the, the underwriting parameters on. So it could make for a more cost-effective uh, policy for that customer and uh, ensure that the um, insurance company has got a broader line of sight in terms of the health dynamics for that um, particular patient. I mean, on on any given month, we're around 90 to 100 of these um, successful fulfillments where we are transferring data at the direction of a patient to help them get a better deal on their life insurance and to help that life insurance company Uh, have a better line of sight in terms of what they're underwriting. And the other area that we're real excited about is with clinical trials. Um, This is a really cool area where we can help identify where concentrations of of patients are located within our our region and uh, approach those health organizations to see if they'd be interested in participating in the clinical trial, and then as they recruit patients, get the authorization uh, completed with that, and they get the authorization completed with that patient, we can make that patient's data available in a very seamless and secure fashion. So not only are we helping to find clinical trial, appropriate clinical trial candidates uh, for particular research initiatives, but we're also helping to make the data uh, in their background um, available and more usable for the researchers, to and it's you know all in the advancement of, of in the cause of medicine. So you know these these are things that we're um, you know really excited about. This is the the kind of stuff that you know you the type of innovation and entrepreneurial type endeavors that uh, you know help uh, help just energize our our team and and our stakeholders.
0: Absolutely, that's amazing to hear about, and you know it's just. So interesting to think about the possibilities, as you mentioned, when looking at how um, different data, whether it's the clinical data that clinicians can see, um, how that informs their approach to patients in, in decision-making, as well as having patients really being able to include their data in some very important work for clinical trials and other areas that makes it innovation faster and speeds up uh, what, yeah. what you're able to do in that regard. So that's awesome to hear.
1: Yeah, it, and, you know, and I'm surprised that it may not have happened more quickly, but I do think the pandemic helped the population at large to understand that there are organizations that serve the broader cause of helping to make data available as needed. And I think we're getting a more savvy consumer understanding that they have these options to, to go ahead and, and direct the use of their data.
0: Absolutely, I, I think that sounds great. It makes a lot of sense, and is a good thing we're getting to this point now. I know you talked about some of the things that you're excited about. Is there anything that makes you nervous?
1: Um, well, yeah, always. I mean, obviously, there's always the threat with uh, regards to cybersecurity. Uh, always the threat of, uh, of of making sure that the the data is secure and and you know being used for its intended purpose. You know, you, you you we're high trust certified. Uh, our organization we hold over 180 ITIL certifications, which is like the international framework of best practices for data service and IT management. I mean, we only have like I guess 42, 43 full time employees, and we our, our organization has invested over $200,000 since 2016 to advance the certification of our staff so that we're applying best practices that are used by the most sophisticated of organizations in a manner that is um, appropriate and proportional to the nature of our organization. And and, and for what it's worth, I have to say that that we've seen uh, tremendous uh, improvement in terms of the reliability and, and the utility of our services. Uh, back in fiscal year 20, uh, we had about, I don't know, around 860 or so hours of SEV-1 and SEV-2 uh, related downtime. Uh, we got that down to, I believe it was like around uh, uh, 150 or so in FY21. And then FY22, we were down to, I believe it was uh, around 80 hours for the entire year where we had uh, our, uh, one of our services that were affected by a SEV-1 or SEV-2 ticket. And I credit that in large part with, with a number of variables, but not the least of which was the investment that we've made to apply best practices. So, yeah, you know, making sure that the trains run on time is, is always the thing that we're, we're nervous about. But if you're applying what you know to be best practices and what you know to be tried and true um, approaches. I mean, 90% of your success is going to be tied to the approach you take, right? Um, if, we, if we remain true to the best practices and that have that influence our, our approach to things, um, you know, we're, we're, we're going to uh, give ourselves the best chance of, of meeting our mission and, and, and keeping our promises to our stakeholders, um, you know, and, and so a little bit of nervousness, nervousness can, can be a good thing there.
0: Agreed. Definitely want to make sure you're doing the right thing by the organization, by patients, and everybody else involved in terms of the security and in just being um, very buttoned up in that regard.
1: No, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're exactly right. And um, um, it, you know, that, that's that's the thing. Like when when I worked in financial services, yes, we took it very seriously. It was uh, it was paramount to be a professional um but um, on more than one occasion I'd, i'd be around a colleague and they'd say well you know okay there was a screw up with the marketing campaign or there was a screw up with the source code associated with the credit card product um and that would be bad but you know folks would be like all right it's not like we killed anybody okay well that's that's true um and and but when you're working with healthcare data the and and the reliability of tools that healthcare systems are relying upon you can't have a bad day because it could affect the health and welfare of, of, of a member of your community or uh, and, 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 and their families and, and as well as like the people who are trying to deliver care. And we certainly don't want to do anything that's going to make their jobs harder. So um, when you're a ubiquitous and indispensable utility as well as a service, you know what you you've you've got to make sure that you're 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 meeting your promise to your folks every, every day. Um, and it's, it's it's a big responsibility for sure.
0: Absolutely that is definitely something that is so important and before we wrap up our conversation I did want to ask you about leadership. What do you think will the most effective healthcare leaders will need to succeed over the next 2 or 3 years?
1: No, that's a great question. And um what I think is going to be key, and I think this is true of any kind of dynamic organization, and I think because of the nature of health care and the nature of the delivering care, the nature of the human body, the nature of the, the discipline of care, that change needs to be your companion. Too often, I think, folks, uh, in the human nature is to resist change, and it can come in many forms, and we apply tried and true behaviors and, and habits for good reason. It brings order to our lives. But change is our companion. It's the thing that, that, that we need to be able to embrace. Those organizations that look at change in that way are going to be most successful. The other thing I would say is, is that organizations need to be relationship-centric. I don't know and don't see how an organization that is not centered on the relationship of its stakeholders, understanding their pain points, understanding what their priorities are and being able to orient their their strategic plans to uh, an anticipation of the needs of their stakeholders, both those that they're currently serving and those that they wish to serve. If you're not relationship centric, I'm not sure how you're gonna be successful in this space. It's highly competitive. There's a lot of excellent players. There are uh, players uh, who are in the quote, unquote, big data space that have uh, enormous uh, resources to be able to apply to, to problems. But then there are these very um, uh, extremely advanced boutique type operations. I guess I'd put us in that category that can be uh, excellent at the things that uh, that they do, and be nimble and and innovative in a way that uh, maybe the larger organizations may have a hard time being in in terms of uh, uh, dealing some of the challenges with, with with healthcare. So yeah, I would say uh, embracing change and being relationship centric are um, I guess the, the, the key aspects for being successful in this space in the next two to three years and quite frankly beyond.
0: That's an amazing point, Randy. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been such an interesting discussion and I look forward to connecting with you again soon.
1: My pleasure, Laura. Thank you again for the opportunity. It's been a great pleasure.